This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, November 14th, 2018. This is the 197th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a top angel investor, blogger, and podcaster, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to invest. Support what you believe in, whether it's a person, business, or cause, financially, or with your time. Investing can not only help others achieve success, but it can be rewarding to you, both emotionally and financially. So take a stand and put your dollars and your energy into what you see as worthy. Investing is worth the investment. That's my tip today. Now I'm happy to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Joanne Wilson. She is an angel investor and blogger with her company Gotham Gal Ventures and a podcaster with her show Positively Gotham Gal. Joanne has had many careers from retail to the media side of the technology world to becoming an angel investor who currently has a portfolio of over 90 companies. And those include Food 52, Vine Pear, Sweet Lawrence, Threes Brewing, Mazadar, and many more. She also created the Women's Entrepreneurs Festival. So hello, Joanne. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for coming out to Bushwick. I love this place. Yeah, I do too. It's it's cozy on this uh, now chilly chilly day out in New York. I know it's very different today than it usually is in the summer. So it's nice <laughs> to be out here in the winter, in the fall. But although it's actually almost winter today, yeah, yeah, it is. It's, seasons are changing. So let's let's start out with your background. And how you how I, you know I noted in your bio how you did have several careers before landing into what you're doing now with investing. So. Let's go through a little of how, how, how you started out and ended up where you are now. Yeah, well, I started out in the retail world, um, which was very different when I started out. So I you know, graduated from college, and I was in the Macy's training program. And this was when Macy's training program was uh, you know, the place you wanted to be if you were in the retail world. And it was um, it's actually different today than it was then. And then what was interesting about it is that you kind of spent three months um, learning about the company. Um, and then after that three-month period, they placed you into a store. 
And um, all of us got placed in different stores. And I got placed in King's Plaza, Brooklyn. And I was responsible for the cosmetic department. And I had a retail finance background. So, um, you know, they saw something that I probably didn't see. So they stuck me in King's Plaza, Brooklyn. And what was interesting about it is I was 21 years old. I was responsible for 150 people and, um, and the second largest cosmetic department in all of Macy's. Wow. And, you know, and, and looking back, I think, God, you know, I was so young. Um, But it was an incredible experience. I really enjoyed um, managing, and um, I loved the people that I work with. And and what was interesting is as you moved up the chain at Macy's, it was almost like um, a a pyramid structure. So once you got promoted, you had to go – in the circuit and start interviewing for the jobs that were available as an assistant buyer. And so, you know, if you didn't get picked up quickly, like you became dead wood. So, you know, so that's how they got rid of people that they didn't think should go to the next level. So I got promoted, became an assistant buyer, did that. Then I got promoted again, went back to Storeline and was uh, assistant store manager. And then got promoted again and became a buyer. And I became a buyer in... A little less than three years, which is pretty remarkable. I moved very quickly. Um, and I was a buyer for about a year. And I think the, the thing that was great about that is I was a sponge and I kept learning. Mm-hmm. But once I became that buyer, after a year, I was like, okay, like what's next? Now what? And some um, man um, said to me, who was the vice president of um, all of women's ready to wear, he said... Uh, you're going to have to be in this job for a couple of years um, because uh, women don't move as quickly as men do. Ooh, interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> and so um, things had changed in retail then too. Campo came into the world of retail and Macy's decided to become private. Um, and, um, you know, in many ways you can look back and that's when retail changed. And um, I was like, I'm out of here. And two weeks later, I left, and I went to the other side, and I went to work in the garment center. Um, so I learned how to um, sell and sell to people that were in my job prior to being a buyer. So I was selling to buyers all over the country. Wow. So then technology was a part of your career path as well? No. 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 Okay. And that, that was way on the horizon, and I didn't even think about technology at that point. Okay. But you did think about investing. Yes, I did think of investing, but I, you know, that career, um, when I was running, I was in sales and then I went to another company and learned how to make the garments. And then I went to another company I learned and I built the company. So I was like the number two at this company and grew this company from like a million and a half dollars to Twelve million dollars over a course of two years, yeah, and um, and then you know I had one kid, then I had two, and I decided um, I left for a variety of reasons, and um, decided that I should be in sales only, and I got fired from that job because the guy that I work for said to me, not only should you not be working in just sales, not only should I be reporting to you, you should be running this company. 
And I was like, my husband's like, you got to get out of this industry. And I went home and I had these two kids and I stayed home for a couple of years. And that's really when I started this next career, which sort of moved into the technology world. So what is what? Let's talk about that next move. And I'm always curious with becoming like, how does one exactly become an investor, an angel investor, and start your own business. Is this so? Is this when you started on your on your own? Um, no, this um, this particular career was the beginnings of the tech industry in New York, which everyone referred to at that point as Silicon Alley. And um, I, um, you know, I was at home for a while with these kids, and one day I just was like, I think I was at a play date, and I was listening to these women speak, and I had three kids in tow. And I thought, oh my God, if I had a gun in my bag, I'd kill everyone here and kill myself. I've got to go back to work. Mm -hmm. And my husband said, you know, you should really talk to this guy, Jason Calacanis, who I already knew. He's schlepping around this little publication. He wants to write about this new industry of technology. And so I called Jason and I said, you know, I can help you build this business. I'll be the revenue. And so we built this into quite a business to the point where um, I had two people that wanted to buy his business for like $30 million, and he didn't want to do it. And so I left, and and really soon after, the entire internet industry imploded with the mortgage crisis. And so I was home again. I decided to stay home again for a while. After I chaired a nonprofit for a while called Mouse, and I said, okay, I'm going to be home with my kids for a while again. And, um, and then they were all in school full time, and I was starting to look for something else. And blogging had just started. Mm. And so I started blogging. I thought, you know, this is a great medium, something new and different. At least I'll own it, and nobody else will. We'll see what happens with it. And um, I was watching over Curb Media, um, which also had Racked and Eater. Mm-hmm. And I was reading these websites, you know, three or four times a day because they were constantly posting new stories. Um, and I said to my husband, you know, it's really too bad you wouldn't invest in this because this is the future of content. And what makes it really interesting is that not only is it B2B, but it's B2C. And he came home the next day and he said, you know, Lockhart is looking for money. You should invest in this. And I was like, really? And he's like, you would be a great investor. He's like, you understand how to make money and you know how to build businesses. I called Locke. We had lunch. And that was my first investment. That is very cool. And I Lockhart Steele, which is the coolest name. The coolest name ever. <laughs> I don't sure. know how you get a name like that. But yeah. he's, he's also... Um, from Eater, which which and and curbed, and but I didn't realize that was your first investment. So, yeah. um, and that got you off and running. So, what was it about that or investing that? I mean, that, that like drew you in, being like, this is now what I want to focus on. You know, I mean, I had been, you know, my husband's a venture capitalist, so I have been the backseat of the world of investing in startups for you know a long time, thirty years. And, you know, I was watching the second generation of the web um, start to um, begin again. And I was fascinated with the new companies that were people were building. And as I was blogging, I was hearing from all these young entrepreneurs about what they were doing. 
And I would take coffees and lunches and what have you not. And once I made that first investment in Curbed, you know, it was really, you hear from people and you start to think about these businesses in a very different way. And there were so many opportunities. I mean, this is, you know, almost 12 years ago. And, um, and it was really the beginnings of this next generation of how technology changed every industry. So I was really the in the forefront of that. And I made a conscious decision to start investing in female entrepreneurs. And, Why? You know, I was hearing from all these women who were talking to male investors, which we, you know, we know mm-hmm. the statistics, 97 or whatever, 96, 95% of them are men. And none of them were understanding their business. And not only did they not understand their business, they felt they had no one they were connecting with. And so, you know, I would meet a woman, I would talk about her business, and she'd say, I don't talk to women all day long. You know, I'm talking to all these male investors, male on my board, you know, would you consider investing in my company? And so I really just made this conscious decision. And also timing, you know, it was less expensive to start a company. Women were starting to start these Mm -hmm. companies. And so my timing was right as well. Right. What about investing in food-related businesses and the restaurant arena? Because as you were saying, your background, retail, like why why didn't you go more into the fashion world perhaps with investing? Or do you have those two? (laughs) I have those two, but not as deeply as you would think based on my full knowledge of that business. Right. I think in many ways I know it so well that I understand how insanely difficult it is and how the risk in many ways, I think, in that business is even larger. Well, I'm sitting here listening to you. I'm like, wait, you're not talking about restaurants? (laughs) The risk, I mean, that's huge. Restaurant is huge. But, you know, I really ended up investing most. I mean, I've always loved food. You know, it's always been a major part of my life, you know, even as a kid. You know, I mean, I grew up with, you know, smelling Melita coffee being freshly ground in the morning. I mean, we were very into food as, as, as a family. And so um, what I really invested mostly in food is the back-end technologies. You know, so it's a Food 52 or it's How Good um, or it's um, Shelf Mint or it is it was Mouth. So they're companies that are in the food space but they're not necessarily making food and serving it to your table. I mean, I've done some CPG products. I think those are so hard. I have a huge, you know, spot in my heart for CPG entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, Sweet Lawrence's, you know, right. CPG. Yes. Um, and she's pulled out of the box, which is really impressive. It is so hard. Yes, it is. It's. I see it from the outside looking in. So let's take a little break here and come back and we'll talk more with Joanne about investing and everything else she's up to. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This program is brought to you by Jewel Suvi. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Juul user. I use Juul to help me host the most delicious dinner parties. When you cook with Juul, there's zero guesswork. 
So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Paired app is super intuitive and has a great visual doneness guide. Juul is awesome for prepping many perfect portions, making it easy to cook for a crowd, and it's hands-free so you can focus on entertaining while Juul does the work. And pro tip, Juul is also great for travel. I throw mine in my suitcase if I'm headed to a rental house with any kind of uncertain kitchen. From perfect steak to juicy, tender Thanksgiving turkey, Juul makes the best food you've ever tasted. Just be sure to save some room for mini jars of pumpkin pie. Juul, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash Juul and use code HRN, as in Heritage Radio Network, to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E, code HRN. With the seeds on your lands, I'll burn me down. Let me wear your golden crown. So when I meet St. Peter, I don't let you down. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bear. My guest today is Joanne Wilson of Gotham Gal Ventures, and she also her podcast is Positively Gotham Gal. And I was recently on it, episode eighty-one. You got to go check it out. Sure. I I love that we're we've we've now switched switched the roles exactly. And um, it was fun coming on your show and seeing how you do things. So, uh, well, you do a lot of things. So let's get back into the investing a, a bit because mm-hmm. I want to know, like, how do you decide, like, what's the process? Are you, I mean, now you're known, you're very known in the industry if someone, like, say, the, the go-to angel investor for, for female-run businesses or, or and or food-related businesses. I mean, I think of you, but how do you, like what are you getting, do you get pitched constant, constantly and then you have so many investments? Like, yeah. is there a, a point where you're going to say, I'm done? I mean, I actually, 90 is not the world actually now. I have actually 110. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. No, you know, uh, it, it, you know, listen, for the way that I invest, the important thing is having the f- thesis. You know, I'm never the person that's putting in a million dollar check. You know, I am the person that puts in enough to own one percent of a company when they're valued at anywhere between three and five million dollars, and then I continue to follow them on based on their success and based on the uh, paperwork, um, the legal paperwork. If in fact I'm like, okay, this makes sense on this next round, um, and I have really rolled up my sleeves with all these founders from the very beginning. Um, but you know, for what I did, that has to be that thesis where you, you do multiple deals a year. Um, because, you know, as we all know, the statistics, so many fail and so many make it. And, um, so, you know, I, they, these deals would literally come into my email box, um, or people would introduce me to people. Um, and I, I do respond to all my emails. You know, I, I feel like it's really hard as a founder to, you know, be shameless and, and put yourself out there. And I feel they deserve some kind of response. Um, but in general, you know, I, I've never really gone out and looked for things. They've sort of ended up in my lap. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think right now I'm really pulling back. I mean, I, you know, it's been a massive, you know, 11, 12 year run at this point. And the last year or so, I've really pushed back on my heels for a variety of reasons. I think one is, 
it's a really tough pace to run at. And, um, you know, I'm really a one person band. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that there was a time then where being a generalist was fine because technology was changing every vertical. So I knew enough to be dangerous, you know, be it in healthcare, be it in education, be it in food, be it in archi- you know, architecture. Um, but now everyone has touched everything. And, you know, what are the industries that aren't being touched? I mean, if you're going to invest in healthcare, I really think at this point you need to spend 24-7 in healthcare. You know, I, I, it's, it's, if, if, if you want to be in consumer products, be in consumer products. I think it's v- much more difficult to be a generalist. And I also feel like there's this kind of thing that everyone's an entrepreneur, you know, and they're going about it in different ways than people did in the past where it was much more A-B testing and making sure. Um, most of these people are not hireable. I mean, they're truly entrepreneurs. And I think now people are just like, you know, being an entrepreneur is like, oh, I'm going to go to school and be a doctor. You know, it's it's not like this innate thing that I have to be an entrepreneur because there's no way I could work in a company or I have these amazing mm-hmm. ideas and I have to execute on them. So I think a lot of the things that I'm seeing now are the replication of things that have happened. And um, I think things are really overvalued. And so I think there will be a check in the market. Um, and maybe I'll go back into it. But right now, I'm holding tight. There's nothing I'm seeing out there that I feel like I need to meet, greet, see, and get excited about. Yeah. Well, I, on your list, you have a Royal Palm Shuffleboard yeah. Club. Yeah, Jonathan. Well, Jonathan, Ashley Albert, his... Yeah, his, Ashley, she's great. <laughs> Ashley and I went to sleepaway camp together. Oh, my God, that's We've hilarious. Known, and she came on my show. I did a show with her Well, a she's while got ago. the matzah. She's got the matzah the project. The so fabulous. Yeah. No, she's, she's, she's a dynamo. I she mean, is a she's, dynamo. <laughs> she's, uh, but I saw that, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, that, that It's one of yours. Yeah, it is yeah. one of mine, and they've been insanely successful. Yeah, they opened in Chicago. I know. Yeah. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know. So how do you how do you keep tabs on all of these businesses? It's a lot of businesses. I'm insanely organized. You must be. I am, and I, I have a very. It's the way my brain works. You know, I mean, I honestly do think about all these companies. I mean, I have Just Works, which is, you know, been around for a long time. It's a large company now, and I was talking to someone the other day. And I thought, wow, they should be using JustWorks. Um, it's a PE firm that uh, does insurance for all the companies they're invested in. And I was like, why aren't you using JustWorks? And he's like, you know, I don't know. Should I talk to them? I said, you should absolutely talk to them. So, you know, it's they're always top of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as they've matured, I'm not as involved in them. But I still, once in a while, check in regardless. And... Um, you know, I just, I really just, you know, I keep it on my head. Right. So how do you divide your time? And when did you launch the the podcast, which which is great? And I know, I mean, I I was listening to it before I came on the show. It's like, it's such a, it's such a great interview. And you're interviewing mostly or completely all women, women entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I... Um, in terms of the what you what you asked in terms of well as far as dividing how are time. you dividing your time yeah. and like 
And how did you, what, what, what prompted you to start doing to podcast podcast? Yeah. Well, my time is really, you know, I, listen, there's other things I also do as well that, you know, I'm not surprised, you know, I do. Um, but you know, I made it a full-time job. I mean, I basically said, we're, I'm going to invest this capital. I'm going to make it a full-time job. It's our personal capital. I never wanted to take money from anyone else because I didn't want to be in that business of having LPs. And I actually think that has allowed me um, a really interesting opportunity because I've been a voice for women and I can say whatever I want because I don't have any LPs behind me. And I'm usually older than everyone else in the room. And um, that's really worked for me. And I, I feel actually pretty empowered and very um, proud of myself for that. That's something I really care about. Um, and it's, it's a constant theme, even in my writings. Um, and so I did this Women's Entrepreneur Festival for seven years. And when we began it, one of the things my co-founder said to me was, there's not enough women entrepreneurs out there. And I said, no, you're wrong. There's tons of women entrepreneurs. The difference is women network differently, and so you don't hear from them. Mm-hmm. But they're there. And I said, if we're going to do this you know, event, I should really be writing about these women because people should know they're out there. And so when you, know, you have journalists or people write about the new entrepreneurs and they're all men, it's like, okay, you're obviously not doing a good job because there are plenty of women out there. They just network differently. And so I started writing this piece every Monday on my blog called Woman Entrepreneur of the Week. And I would highlight a woman entrepreneur. And I did it for, my God, five or six years. And um, it was a really hard, I mean, it was exhausting and it was a lot. And, you know, once you start this, you don't want to, like, give up that Monday. Like, I got to have that one every Monday. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed the conversations and podcasting was really starting to come on, even though... Our family did a podcast back in the 90s, believe it or not. Um, and um, it was called Positively 10th Street, which oh, is wow. why this is called Positively ah, Gotham Gal. I love it. And um, so I decided, you know, I'm going to start doing these conversations instead because I think they're more fluid and there's much more to learn from them. And so um, we started these podcasts. Yeah. And you're still blogging. Or, or, I mean, do you, do you write daily? You're summarizing everything, like, your week. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Um, sometimes once in a while, like, something will happen. I'll just, like, you know, top of mind, and I'll write that day. But in general, I try to, you know, set si- time aside for myself on Sunday. And I make notes to myself over the course of week of things that I'm thinking about or mm-hmm. things that are top of mind that I'm like you know, really want to write about. And, um, and then I sit down and I write most of them during the course of the weekend. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so let me ask you my question for my last guest on episode 196. I had on J.D. Hilburn. He is the private chef for A.B. Rosen. He wants to know, what's your trick? What do you do to discover things before everyone else in the age of social media where everyone's stuff is already out there? Basically, how do you get in five minutes before everyone else? It's a great question. Um, You know, everything is out there. I mean, particularly now. You really just have to look. Um, And also, because I've become this voice, I mean, I hear from people first. Mm -hmm. Um, 
there are countless companies that, you know, are just now starting to hit the ground with some capital that I talked to three years ago. So, you know, I'm just early to the party. Yeah. I've become this go-to person. Um, and so that's how I sort of find these things. Yeah, you have. Yeah. I also, like, I love New York City, and I love what's happening here always. So, you know, you walk the street, you see what's happening, you pay attention, you read tons of stuff that comes into your box or, you know, random things that you catch on, you know, that are, like, behind something that someone wrote about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just because I've become the go-to person. Yeah, no, you have, for sure. So we can take a break. Before we do, just one more question. So what advice would you give to someone who you can answer either or, who wants to be an entrepreneur or who wants to be an investor? Yeah. Well, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you better have a good idea. <laughs> because at the end of good the day, tip. you know... It's about a great idea that is filling a niche that can grow into something large. It is not about shoving a square in a circle. It's about, you know, growing something in an industry that has the possibility of being huge, that there's um, a large opportunity out there. And in terms of an investor, you know, I mean, if you want to invest your own capital, you have to think about this as going to Las Vegas. You're going to lose every single penny. Um, like you said at the very beginning of this podcast, which is, in oh, I think a lot of women tend to become more philanthropy-oriented later on in life. And I would say my challenge to them would be like, take that money, take half of it, and just go out there and find women or companies where you're history and provenance of your own career can be very helpful to these people as they grow their companies and put money behind them, help them as you can, with the chance that maybe one of them will be a success or maybe they'll all fail. But it's incredibly rewarding for everyone on both sides of the table. Great advice. Okay, so let's take another break here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
This is All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My ge- my guest today is Joanne Wilson. It's time for my speed round game. I have a feeling you're just going to nail that. I you're hope just so. Gonna... <laughs> so what it is is I name a couple of things and you pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. I give you choices. All right. Okay. Here we go. Eat in or eat out. I got to tell you, I might be 50-50 on that. Okay. But I generally eat out. <laughs> <laughs> How about wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? I like my cocktail. I'm, I don't like cocktails. And I'm into, like, straight alcohol. So I don't like know what that would be. Like, like a martini I need or a, just I need pure it. tequila. I need to add, or the straight up alcohol. <laughs> or straight up alcohol. Like, I like my coffee sh- black. Okay. <laughs> okay, got it. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all inclusive charge? Tipping. This is a fun one. How about. Gotham City Batmans. We got Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, George Clooney, and Val Kilmer. Oh, that's a tough one. Say them again. <laughs> there might be more, but I have Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, George Clooney, and Val Kilmer. I think Michael Keaton. Okay. I mean, you're you're the Gotham gal, so I felt like I had to ask yeah, a no, Gotham no, City question. That. Yeah, and I've seen them all. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That, that might be the toughest one in this whole game. Okay, well, a few more. Uh, blogging or podcasting? Podcasting. Nice. I mean, it's, just, it's fluid. Yeah. <laughs> Writing's hard. <laughs> yeah, writing is hard. Writing's hard. Impressed how much you've written. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Right now, Brooklyn. Ooh. Like it. All right. Everything's happening in Brooklyn. That's the game. That is the game. I like that game, but everything is happening in Brooklyn. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it, it is. It is great. I mean, as I said, my first job was in Brooklyn, Kings Plaza. And when we first came to New York, I mean, we literally took this city by storm, my husband and I. We went into every single neighborhood in Brooklyn and Queens and Manhattan. I mean, we wanted to know and uncover everything about this city. Um, and now, you know, my kids live in Brooklyn, and um, I think that all of the really interesting restaurants and uh, communities are really happening in Brooklyn. Yeah, well, uh, where did you grow up? I'm curious. I started out in L.A., we moved oh. to Michigan, and then we ended up in, and we were in Washington, and went to school in Boston. Where in Michigan? Uh, Ann Arbor. Oh, right. And go blue. Yeah, go yeah. blue. Okay. And um, uh, and then I we moved to the Washington D.C. area, 
And then I went to school in Boston, and then I came to New York when I graduated and never left. Wow. I didn't, I'm glad I asked that question. I didn't know you, that was your track. Yeah. So speaking of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. the article I picked out, well, there's a bunch of articles. So I just thought this is interesting and exciting for, for, for Missy and Sean, her partner, too. Um, Missy, Missy Robbins' new mm-hmm. restaurant in, in yep. Williamsburg, was reviewed, had two reviews that came out yesterday. Yes, they did. And <laughs> it's, it's one of them, the, the New York Times by Pete Wells. He titled the article, Missy is much more than a pasta restaurant. Three stars, which is amazing. Amazing. Glowing review. Glowing, loved her vegetables. Loved the vegetables, loved the pasta, loved everything. And then on Eater, New York. Trash it. Ryan Sutton <laughs> gave it one star and his title is Pasta Temple Missy Fails to Deliver on Its Signature Item. The exclusive Williamsburg restaurant is a rare miss by Chef Missy Robbins. So, and then Grub Street wrote an article saying, is Missy good, a good restaurant or what? You know, like, so it's, I can't imagine what, I can't, first of all, I can't even imagine being reviewed. Like I started, like, like, oh. The, the critique and all of that by everyone, but yet alone top reviewers. And so, but having a day where you, you have a three star and then you have a one star and it's like, they were very different reviews. Extremely different reviews. So it comes down to, um, you know, it's subjective and experience. And I mean, that's the one thing with restaurants that people talk about with when reviewing that it's always every night's a different show. You know, like you, reviewers who review theater, they're seeing base. You know, well, theater can change. No, but too, I agree. But. Every night is a different show. I mean, I went to, for instance, I've been to Barbuda a million times. It's right in my neighborhood. The other day, I went there for lunch and I had this pizza and it was exceptional. I mean, like I savored it. It was so delicious. And I went back later in the week for lunch again and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to order this again. And it wasn't good. And it was the exact same pizza. So someone else was in the kitchen. And, you know, I will say, as a blogger, you know, certainly doing a lot of the restaurant stuff early on. um, And my daughter writes every week um, um, on um, Tiny Letters and um, All Things Considered. And she won't write something negative. She won't write a negative review. She's like, why? I want to make it positive. And she's an amazing writer. And I kind of like that thing. I don't want to slam anyone anymore. If I go somewhere and it sucks, I usually won't say anything. Although I did go to two restaurants recently. They were so freaking awful that, and how much money was spent on these restaurants that I felt compelled to say to the world, there's no way these are different on Monday night and Thursday night. These are terrible, terrible, awful experiences. And, you know, they're never going to make it. But yeah. in general, I think that we should leave that nuanced stuff to uh, the world of professionals. I agree. I, I take the same approach as your daughter. Like, I, I mean, on social media, I put out, you know, it's positive messages. I'm not out. I want to be a cheerleader for the industry and, and helping businesses. I'm not out to, to hurt anyone. But I also feel like I'll do my solo dining experience later in the show. Like, I can't paint a picture like every experience in every moment is perfect. Mm-hmm. So I think I find a nice way to to say any 
not criticism, but just or highlighting the the parts that I like the best. I agree. Because why I'm not, I don't want to be a reviewer and I don't want to hurt anyone. I agree. I mean, it's super hard to run Mm -hmm. a restaurant. Um, And, um, you know, the nuances from the noise to the seating to the menu. I mean, you know, and that's why some succeed and some don't. You know, sometimes you go and you think to yourself, who came up with this awful menu? Like, how do you think people are going to come back here over and over and over again? Or like, I can't even hear the person next to me. Why is that interesting to anyone? I mean, so, you know, I think we t- briefly talked about this um, on my podcast, yeah. mm-hmm. which is the restaurant world is in a very different spot right now. I actually had this conversation with Lockhart the other day and my daughter, which is, you know, when you asked eat in or eat out, right? The eating out experience, I don't feel the same like excitement that I did years ago. And I don't know if it's because of social media. I read everything. I know everything. I see the poop pictures. I see what the restaurant looks at like. I see everything before I get there. And so it's not as like this oh wow moment. Yeah. Or is it because it's so hard to succeed when the rents are high and you're paying someone $15 an hour to clean a, a dish? I don't know the answer. I mean, we went to this place in Long Island City this weekend um, called Ada. Which I, it's on my list. I haven't been yet. Oh my God, it's fantastic. But it's yeah. like a little divey restaurant, bright lights, unbelievable Indian food coming out of there. It's a little bit like the... Um, the um, Baby, um, um, baby, the one that's uh, Thai food. Um, um, oh, ugly baby. Ugly baby. It's a little <laughs> bit like ugly Thank baby. You. Thank you. In terms of like the light yeah. and like it's a family run business and what's going on. And, you know, they can make it work. Um, and I think those are the places that are much more interesting these days. It's happening in New York. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean... Yeah, it's it is an interesting time. I mean, I have to, you know, I'm friends. Just getting back to Missy, like you know, I'm friends with Missy, and I I'm very happy for her New York Times review. I feel like that is, you know, when I think about readership, I think I don't. I, I always I read Eater every day. I I mean, I'm a restaurant publicist, like, but I don't. Should read Eater. Every I day. should read it, but I don't. I feel I always think the New York Times is is. Uh, the the source where a lot of people who don't read about restaurants every day but want to keep up a little bit they get the they see the Wednesday paper in the dining out section and and there they get their information there so I think you know that is got a lot of exposure and I'm super happy for her I mean I think it's it it but I can't imagine what her emotions were yesterday I'm sure it's at crazy all. but I also think that the majority of people who are not that curious about the food space. Mm-hmm. Just read, oh, look at she got one star at Eater, or look at she got three mm-hmm. stars here. Like, right. oh, I should go check it out. You know, I, there's so many shitty restaurants in, you know, across all boroughs um, that seem to still survive. So, you know, I'm, I, we're in like the thick of like, mm-hmm. you know, paying attention. I don't know how many other people are. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing I just I mentioned, well, I don't know how much time we have, but. America's 38 essential restaurants list came out on here. Yeah. And this Bill Addison goes, I mean, he 
Wow. Poor man. I don't even know how he has a life. Well, his life is traveling around the country and he puts his heart and soul, I, I believe, into finding totally. what he thinks is these 38 restaurants of the essential restaurants of America. It's a very, it's hard to, it's I would be hard. Very, very hard to come up with a list, but it was, you know, it's an interesting list and the four from New York that he put on it. They're so different. He's got Momofuku Co. He's got Cheyenne Famous Foods, Superiority Burger and Via Corota. And I actually just went back to lunch like a week or two ago at Via, Via Corota because it's fabulous. It's, it's fabulous. It's an industry favorite for sure. Everything is delicious. Yeah. And it's good lunch, dinner. Like I can. Yeah. So I was happy to see that on the list. But it's all. Yeah. It's in. I don't know. Essentials in. In. A, a, a interesting word to kind of like what you're putting as usually it's like the best new restaurant. But right. this is like, these are the restaurants he feels that you should visit. They're essential to neighborhoods. They're essential to the the restaurant community. Yeah. I mean, it's such a hard one. I mean, it really is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that you go to these divey places like in L.A., and very few people go to them. Or you find these divey places in Queens or, in, you know, the, they're just like neighborhood joints that are serving, you know, food from Bangladesh that, you know, nobody knows about. And it's delicious. Um, so I think that's a really, you know, that's his 38 special. Yeah. And it's a great list. It's and a great there's list. So, there's, a, there's several I've been to, but many I haven't. Yeah. And so, you know, when I'm traveling, I'll definitely use this as a source. For sure. And... One more thing I'll say is Thrillist today came out with their new best, their 13 best new restaurants of the year. And my client spoke in English, which is at the Line Hotel in D.C., made that list. And so I'm super happy for them. And that's Eric Bruner Yang is the chef. And it's a standing only restaurant. And he pushes the boundaries. And I'm just very, very proud. So that's um, cool. Congratulations. Yeah, it is cool. Okay, one more break. We're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience, and we'll have the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Great. Just to wake up 
We're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Die and Die. So good. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> I was going to go with D&D, but I, it's a D-I and D-I. So Die and Die. Here's the rundown. The location, 68 Greenpoint Avenue, Greenpoint, Brooklyn. The concept, Vietnamese restaurant. Known for its pho, or I always say pho, which I know is wrong, but that's, hey, that's me. The owners, Dennis No, Kim Wong, and Tuan Bui. Why did I go? Because this newish place has had consistently positive reviews. My experience. So I booked a spot on Resi for two people because they didn't have reservations for one, which I do often find when <laughs> challenging when I'm looking to make a reservation for one. And when I, I showed up, I explained I, I did not have a date and I would sit at the bar if, the, if, if they didn't have a table, but they were super kind. They said, no, we're totally cool with you at a table. So I sat in the back and uh, my server was really lovely, took great care of me. So what did I get? I had the Ban Trang Tron, which is rice paper salad. And I also had the Chaka La Vong, which is a sizzling turmeric Alabama catfish. My take? I loved both dishes. They were really delicious, well-balanced, and worked worked really well together as a meal. Um, I had some leftovers I took to go. The ambiance. It's a rather large space. It has high ceilings. It has a bar at front and the dining area in the back. It's decorated with some pastel colors and has plants and a, like a Scandinavian-type furniture. Um, it, it does get noisy. It has a lot of hard surfaces, and it was pretty loud in the back, but it was lively. So I'd say it's perfect for dining with friends or a casual date night. Interesting tidbit, die and die means let's go eat in Vietnamese. Personal fun fact, on Joanne's Positively Gotham Gal podcast, we, which we recorded recently, we talked about this a little bit, about how the amazing dining scene that's happening in Greenpoint, and that was one of the reasons why it triggered me to get there even sooner than later. The cost was $37, not including tax and hospitality. Would I go back? For sure. The website is dieanddie.nyc. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah, you've, I like that I've, place. You've been, you've yeah. been just once? or oh, We've been once, um, and I will definitely go back. Yeah, I want to go back because it was a pretty large menu and but I picked these two dishes and and my server was like that's good like that's a good you did well you did well we had we went with four there was four of us and so we tasted a lot of different things and um I'd go back in a heartbeat I thought the food was delish yeah green point green point's happening green point is happening <laughs> lots of food out there Okay, so it's time for the final question. My next guest is Jeff Gordonair. He is the food and drinks editor at Esquire magazine. And he's coming on next week. I'm off for Thanksgiving. but he, So he's coming on on November 28th. And that's the day that his best new restaurants list in America is dropping. Nice. So we'll talk a lot of, it's like, tis the season of Tis the season of, of the list. Lists. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Joanne, what would you like to ask Jeff? How he goes about finding those restaurants, you know? Does he just eat out every night? He that, has he has new twins now. Did like he like recently? Like they're probably three or four months old. 
<laughs> wow. I mean, yeah. that's really hard. Yeah. It is. And also, you know, how do you go about eating? Do you just have a normal meal? Or do you order a bunch of different things on the menu? Do you go with a bunch of people so you can have a lot of tastes? Um, you know, you you know, it's like people that do that, you always think to yourself, how come you don't weigh 400 pounds? Yeah. <laughs> I, I will find out what his, what his <laughs> method is. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. Because, yeah, I'd like to, and I actually love to know that question to like every, you know, like all these reviewers, because I bet they all have similar yet different approaches. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I remember going to a restaurant with Dana Cowan and a bunch of people. And um, and she said she's weighs the same thing she's weighed since high school. Like she literally has never gained weight. I was like, that's amazing. And then I watched why. She takes these bites. And I remember there was this incredible cheese thing. And we all had a piece. And then I think Kate was like, let's order another one. And Dana had her bite. And that was it. Mm-hmm. That is insane self-control. But if you're eating out like that all the time. Yeah. You have to be smart. Yeah, you do. I always I always say it's portion control is like the only trick I have. That is the trick. Because I love I love food and I love trying everything and Me different too. all different types of cuisines. So yeah, Dana's Dana's method is, is It's portion control. Yeah. Yeah. So well we'll see what Jeff does. Maybe he just has an incredible metabolism. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah, it was really great. I wish we had more time, uh, but I love, you know, I loved hearing more about your career and everything you've done. It's just incredible. You've, you've, you've really, you've really, you've found your, your niche and, and have been successful and helping all these other female entrepreneurs. I, I, I admire what you do. Thank so. you very much. I think the dots have all just connected. Yeah. Well, they have. So thank you. And thank you for having me on your show, too. My pleasure. It was great. So my guest today has been Joanne Wilson. She is of Gotham Gal Ventures and also of the podcast Positively Gotham Gal. Her website's GothamGal.com. And you can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at The Gotham Gal. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Uh, Give a little announcement here. So on Monday, December 3rd, Heritage Radio is having its holiday party and tasting. This is happening at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. It's the second year we're, we're doing this event, and last year was a lot of fun. So I'm sure this year will be as well. And I have a special promo code. If you put in the promo, all in the industry, all as one word, you will get 10% off your tickets. So go to heritageradionetwork.org backslash gala and uh, get some tickets and I'll see you there. It should be, it should be great. So uh, that's the show. Thanks again to Joanne. Thanks to my engineer today, Matt. And uh, thank you all for listening. I will be back on November 28th with Jeff Gordon Air. I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving and happy holidays. And uh, that's it. Thanks. Bye. Thanks 
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.